Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 353, recorded September 18th, 2023. I am Brian Aachen. And I am Michael Kennedy. This episode is brought to you by us. So please check out uh, Talk Python Training and the new Python Testing with PyTest course that's in progress, but already awesome. And also thank you to our Patreon supporters. And if you want to connect to any of us, um, you've got Python Bytes and Brian Aachen and M. Kennedy all on Fostodon, and the links are in the show notes. So let's kick it off with our first AI topic, Michael. Let's ask the AI what our first topic should be. In fact, let's go to Stack Overflow and ask them what our first AI topic should be. No, seriously. So uh, Stack Overflow has announced Overflow AI, which is not, I'm sure they have, you know, they've got Stack Exchange with all sorts of different things like stuff for Linux, stuff for Mac, DevOps, you know, you name it. Yeah. So I don't think this is, this is not another AI overflow type thing in that sense. This is adding generative AI to Stack Overflow. All right. Okay. So the best way to kind of get a sense of what's going on here is there's a little video, a three minute video that seems like it could be about 45 seconds given how much content is in it, <laughs> but you know, spend three minutes with them and, and you'll get an example. So the most relevant portion, there's some stuff that we don't care about here, but the most relevant portion is when you go to Stack Overflow, you search for an answer, it gives you a list of results, right? Those results are based on traditional search right? You know, keyword matches. And honestly, it does surprisingly well, right? When you go search there, yeah. but they're changing their search. And this is maybe it's out now. I, I have a hard time telling if it's out now uh, as a, a preview you can sign up for, but you go to Stack Overflow and you search for something. Now you get like a chat GPT like response if you want. And it'll say, here are some of the possible answers, but here's also just a, you know, like if you search Google, or a Kagi, you might get a, a little snippet that just shows you the answer from Stack Overflow without taking you there. It's kind of like that. It'll say, and here's a little bit of an answer. And then you can actually start a conversation about it, like you would with ChatGPT. Like, that's cool, but it doesn't quite apply. How would you, you know, I don't, I'm not using Selenium for this. I'm using Pyrite. Could you give me an example of the same, uh, the same process, but with Pyrite? You know, mm. it, it'll try to give you the answer, right? So that's all pretty cool. And they're, they're, Integrating generative AI into the public uh, platform into Stack Overflow for Teams. I didn't know Stack Overflow for Teams existed, but it, if I had a team, it would look really cool to use, but <laughs> not not in a huge corporation with a ton of people working on stuff. So and they're also planning to add, uh, at the moment, VS Code integration for Stack Overflow and the Stack Overflow AI. Hmm. So you can just, like, you know, you've got your source control section, your file section, it's just got a Stack Overflow section where you can start talking to it and get generative AI answers out of Stack Overflow. So I find there's a little bit of irony here, Brian, in that Stack Overflow was banning answers from ChatGPT. Now they're adding a feature that lets you have a conversation and query it using generative AI, which is, seems normal. However, one of the features they highlight in the video is you can say, none of this applies to me. AI help me draft a question, <laughs> you know, so the answers can't be generative AI, but the questions can be generative AI. Interesting. For the right source mm. of AI, right origin, right? The overflow AI, yeah. chat GPT. So this is uh, in, um, in private alpha, I guess, uh, is the current form, but I went to 
I went there, the way I discovered is I went to search for something on Stack Overflow. I said, do you want to try out the new Overflow AI search? I'm like, yes, what is this? <laughs> this looks very interesting. And in my profile under settings, I have the ability to have that turned on. It is turned on, but when I go to do search stuff, it doesn't seem to use it. <laughs> so I think it's like fading in and out as they're making changes to it. But yeah, people can check that out. And then finally, VS Code extension looks cool. Where's our PyCharm one? Come on, bring it on, bring it on. I want this in PyCharm too. PyCharm also added its own little AI assistant, but I'm I'm waiting for it to get better. Yeah. You, you can yeah, it's it's pretty cool, but it's it's not something I'm totally embracing yet. I th- I just want it to be I'd like it when it rolls out uh completely, I'd like it to be able to be able to know did this come from a person or from an AI? Um or was it some mix of the two or something. I don't know. Um, right. Kind of like with, right. and I, and I kind of agree with them for the not allowing, um, AI, like people to just oh, I, I, yes. throw the, throw the totally. question into chat GPT and paste the answer into stack overflow. That's, that's not, that's not what people are expecting. So. Right. If, and if you want that, just put your question straight into chat GPT, like leave out the, the stack overflow middle aspect. Um, yeah. I'm sure. The real pr- concern was, you know, there's a lot of reputation stuff. There's a lot of like, this person is really good at answering questions and here's how much you've contributed. And if you just, you know, you could easily game that with AI <laughs> results. And I'm sure it is being gamed with AI results just with a l- little more work, yeah. but anyway. you know, such is the world. Yeah. It's the yep. it, times are changing. So they, they are. <sighs> That's what ChatGPT told me anyway. How about you? What's your next one? <laughs> well, um, I, I was going to talk about switching to Hatch. So uh, for packaging, for Python packaging, and also setting up virtual environments and stuff, I guess. So Hatch is, um, I'm okay. So for packaging, we had setup tools, and then we had lots of stuff. We had like Flit and Hatchling and Poetry and all sorts of things. Um, so uh, Hatch, there's two parts to Hatch. There's Hatchling, which is the back end that helps you build and unbuild packages and stuff. And then there's uh there's Hatch, which is built. It has Hatchling as part of it. But anyway, let's go through. This uh, there's an article from Oliver Andrich talking about switching to Hatch. Um, and great graphic by the way. Uh, there's a graphic that says, "I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise it won't be boring." That's pretty cool. Um, anyway, uh, he was using poetry. St- Looked at PDM, and now he's uh, thinking about Hatch. It's uh, possibly his new love. We don't know. It's a question mark. So um, there's there's a sentence here that bothers me, and we can get back to it. But it says some prominent projects are using are in, enjoy using it or using Hatch. I don't know if that's true, but let, let's go on. He does show some really cool things with with Hatch, which I I didn't know it could do. For instance, um, when you say Hatch new project, it creates a new project.toml file. One of the things it does in that is it creates these uh, these entry points to uh, environment like virtual environments, and they're separate ones for things like there's a default one, and then there's a test one that has like your PyTest and, and plugins and stuff. Then there's linting that has like PyWrite and Black and Rough and things in it. Um, his question really was, why would I have like why wouldn't I have just a dev virtual environment? But we're using a lot of extra tools now. They might have dependencies that clash. So if you do have dependencies that, that clash, maybe a separate virtual environment for each type of tool chain might be interesting. Oh, you are so, speaking my language now. I didn't really think about that, but yeah, there's about a 50-50 chance if I say update all the dependencies for 
talk Python training, which I think is about 50. There's the runtime ones, and then there's the reporting dev ones, and that includes some things like Jupyter Notebooks for graphs and stuff. Yeah, There's about a 50-50 chance that I'll get an error saying, cannot find any solution to these requirements that you're asking for, because something in the, the, the data science stack forces something to be less than or equal to, and something in the other stack is greater than or equal to, and those are non-intersecting. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, it still runs fine, and I'm sure it'll be okay, but it's like, I'm constantly fighting that. So actually having a, a dev environment and a, a dev tools environment and a, a runtime environment is actually pretty, a pretty cool idea. Yeah. And one of the examples is docs, like they're using make docs material. So it's probably got a bunch of dependencies or you might be using some other document generator tool. And so, and you don't really care if that collides with your testing chain or something, cause you're not, they're not, they're different. So, okay. Anyway. Kind of neat idea. I didn't know Hatch did that. It's kind of cool. You can also do scripts. So each environment can have uh, its own set of scripts. So you could have linting scripts and uh, testing scripts and docs scripts and things like that. Like, uh, for instance, one of the linting one is you could say uh, run black and it has all of your black arguments or something. You can nice. have that. That's pretty, it's kind of neat. Um, no need to use talks. This surprised me. Uh, apparently, there's a, a matrix ability for Hatch. So you can do uh, test matrix, test matrices um, within Hatch. I don't know if you can do other, uh, why would you do a docs matrix though? Uh, you know, so test matrix makes sense. I don't know if it makes sense anywhere else, <laughs> um, but that's kind of neat. And then uh, the last bit I thought was pretty cool was that, well, for one, it has scripts, but I don't know if it's very convenient. So like, say you have a cov script for coverage within your test uh, environment, you would run it by saying hatch run test colon cov. It's kind of a mouthful still, so I'm not sure. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, optional dependencies were kind of neat. You, there's all most tools have optional dependencies, but the um, uh, apparently hatch has a kind of a neat way to say. So let's say in the example, you had ha two different optional dependencies for MySQL or Postgres, depending on what database you want to install. Uh, a default could be just saying MySQL, and it would pull in all of the requirements for MySQL. Um, you just, so you can, there's an easy way to do sort of a transitive default set. So it's kind of cool. Anyway, nice. the, the thing I wanted to come back with was the comment of like, everybody's using it. I don't think everybody's using it. If the, in, if you look at, uh, the, the hatch website, it does say all these different projects are using hatch, but some of them, it's obvious they're using hatchling. Like I, most of my projects use hatchling. That's not the same as right. using hatch. Yeah, it could just be the build back yeah. end just for building the wheels, right? Exactly. That build back end is rock solid and I recommend it. The hatch is sort of the work the top hatch is the workflow tool is similar to poetry. So but still cool. I kinda like that um poetry kind of makes you I at least last time I tried it, it sort of in had you take all of the tools with it, but hatch is more of a use the tools you want sort of a tool. So anyway. Yeah. Kind of cool. So nice. I just checked while we were talking. You did? What did I say? Forty eight or something for the number of dependencies. Yeah. It's insane. I don't know how I got to where I, 232 packages to run talk Python training <laughs> with the reporting. I, I, I can't easily separate the, the dev versus uh, um, runtime yeah. without like more work, but yeah, so that's a lot of packages. And that's a, it's like, are you sure you're not using like um, uh, go or something else that uses tons of dependencies? Um, <laughs> JavaScript. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's a problem. It's just there's with 232, there's a chance, there's a reasonable chance that a bunch, you know, a good bunch of those come from the non runtime stuff. There's a good chance that there's a clash between them. So this idea of multiple virtual environments yeah. is cool. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, I'm a, I'm assuming most of those are transitive. You're using some tool that's using some other yes. tool. And yeah, it... yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. On to the next. Uh, hold on. Comment from Mark in the audience says, yeah, I feel like hatchling but not hatch is a fairly common pattern uh, when mentioned on Talk Python to me. Yeah. Awesome. Speaking of, speaking of, I just want to point out that episode 408 earlier this year, I had Ofec on, the creator of Hatch, talk about Hatch and its benefits and all those different things. So cool. people can check that if they cared. But let's talk formatting code. Formatting code equals black, yes? Yeah, and others. And others. Rough, however, rough checks your code formatting for correctness. And we've we've discussed how fast rough is, right? Yeah. To the point where it's like, hmm, did I actually check the code? <laughs> did I enter the wrong the wrong directory and there just found no contents, right? That kind of thing, right? Well, uh, this was sent over to us from Sky. So thank you, Sky, for sending it in. Um, Charlie Marsh, creator of Rough, has announced the Rough formatter so not just telling you what's wrong but uh, checking for errors but formatting your code based on convention similar but not identical to black so that's pretty cool let me read a few things that sky sent over here because i think it's their experience is worthwhile so charlie says first of all the formatter is designed to be a drop-in replacement for black but with an excessive focus on performance and direct integration with rough that's pretty cool right yeah so Sky says, I can't find any benchmarks that have been released yet, but I did some extremely unscientific testing, caveat there, and found the rough formatter to be five to 10 times faster than black when running on already formatted code or in a small code base. So five to 10 times faster, but 75 times faster when running on a large code base of unformatted code. However, they point out that the second outcome is not that relevant because how many times do you format huge projects that are not formatted? No, normally it's incremental, right? So yeah. the the smaller bits is uh, maybe worth paying attention to more there. Yeah, yeah. So I almost missed state. this announcement because Rough already had some go ahead and fix it if you can features. Yeah, it did have a few fix it things. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. And like I said, I think that was about there's a a violation rather than a convention, right? It's not a violation necessarily to say I write generally in single quotes or I write in double quotes for all my strings. Or I might sometimes have a single quote or sometimes have a oh, double right. quote yeah. where like you might have a coding convention that says all of our strings are the same. They all use single quotes or they all use double quotes. And I don't, there's no reason for like in the same function to have two kinds of strings unless, unless you're in that situation where like I'm saying it's possible. So I don't want to use a single quote so I don't have to escape the apostrophe. So I'll use a double quote for that one. Right. But other than those like sort of weird cases, you shouldn't mix. Right. I think that's more what the point of the rough formatter is addressing and, and black as well. Yeah. Well, rough has a, a few and a few differences from uh, from black as well. Yes. And they, they call out it says the formatter is intended to emit near identical output when run over black formatted code. This is interesting. When run over extensively black formatted code projects like Django and Zulip, uh, Zulip it was 99.9% the same. However, um, it says somewhere when run over non-black formatted code it might make different decisions than black is made yeah and i so, kind of like some of the decisions that they're making just 
I do too. I do actually like them quite a bit. Uh, so I'm I'm a fan of some of these things. It's not it doesn't have as many features yet as as Black does in terms of like controlling certain things or you know. But they're they're working on it. I was talking to Charlie just an hour ago. By talking, I meant submitting a GitHub issue. <laughs> it was quickly. We're having a back and forth there, so that's awesome. Yeah, I like yeah, so it talks about for instance the line endings. Uh, I think are a cool way to deal with it. Um, yeah. So the line feed versus carriage return line feed backslash n versus backslash r backslash n. That's a Windows versus non-Windows yeah. challenge, right? And so I guess if you're on a Windows, you don't want it to keep like unraveling that for you, I suppose. Yeah, actually, I thought uh, one of the things I thought I read was uh, things about um, comments at the end of the line. Uh, Black would often put like the comment on a completely, your, your comment might not match up with uh, what it, what you actually commented against, but uh, yeah. Ruff is trying to be a little bit better about that. So yeah, yeah the that other is. area where this is supposed to be different <laughs> intentionally says um, frequently black will suggest um, this the same or the different. Yeah, 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 let's see. There's there's some places where it's specifically different um, uh, versus black, and it, it talks about. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I haven't read it. Carefully. I don't want to like misstate quoted here, but. It's, it talks about, there's a whole bunch of sections of the, the variations and so on. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm excited to, to try it. And, um, and uh, I think it's cool that this is happening in this space. Indeed. Uh, Jeff out there asks, is there also a rough daemon like Black has? I had no idea about the Black daemon. And I definitely don't know about the rough daemon. But what I use is um, I just have the ID integrate, IDE integration for rough. So... It will automatically be running in the background, right? You get that for PyCharm and VS Code. I I imagine it makes sense to have it run and just constantly checking. So I, yeah. I don't know, not not sure, right? This is still in alpha, so probably not. So and also good to note, it's this isn't a sep. It is kind of a separate tool, tool, but it's part of rough. So it's a if you say like rough format. Um, yes, exactly. Command, so. Yeah, uh, rough format, and I actually was thinking, I, don't know, I can't find my, my little example that I was running earlier, but there's a couple, yeah, so you can do things like, I'll put it, so you can say like rough format, dash dash line length, dash dash respect git ignore, so it'll say if it's ignored in git, don't, don't format mess with it. it. <laughs> don't format it, please. Yeah. You know, things like packages that are installed in a virtual environment, don't go messing with stuff that like I don't care about. Right. If it's ignored in GitHub or in Git, it probably is only going to cause me trouble by messing with it. Uh, so just leave it alone. Right. It's kind of the way I see it. I never, never considered that. Does Black change like virtual environment stuff? Uh, this is a question I don't know. Okay. Anyway, probably probably not. But I don't want it to if it does. Yeah. Anyway, cool. That that the rough rough space format. Very cool. Um. Well, uh, <laughs> we're kind of going into the, like the the inside baseball on this uh, episode but that's all right um uh next up we've got a suggestion from will mccoogan um thought this might be good a good one to discuss on the show uh what's wrong with tommel um i'm like i don't think anything's wrong with tommel so let's take a look um so there's an article uh oh i forget calm it's, not, it's hard to find but calm o'connor um cool name uh what's wrong with tommel and the gist of this really is tommel is is great for smallish things. And even considering pyproject.toml is 
smallish, but interesting quote from uh, apparently from Martin Vignar, uh, author of PyTomal, uh, said, Tomal is a bad file format. It looks good at first glance and for really, really trivial things, it's probably good. But once I started using it and the configuration schema became more complex, I found the syntax ugly and hard to read. Not sure what he was doing with it, but anyway. So there apparently there's some some funkiness with big things. And I'm like, well, what is big things and what are they comparing it to? They're compare one of the comparisons is against a thing called strict YAML, which I didn't know what that was. And strict YAML is YAML compliant. It's the YAML that won't let you go out at night. Your curvy is <laughs> like 930. It's it's really it's oppressive. Um apparently it's YAML with uh uh, some of the features taken away. So I'm not, it's not a standard yet, but apparently it's in the process. So like, what are they doing with it? That Tomal is a problem. And, uh, it's around, so it, uh, strict YAML also is built for, what is it built for? Uh, readable story tests. I'm like, what's a readable story test? I want to see. Here's some examples. We've got, um, this is a, uh, strict YAML readable story. Um, Mappings with defined keys. Anyway, this is sort of readable, but there's a lot of keywords in here that um, I'm not going to say this is readable. I don't think this is that great. Now, compared to the uh, uh, Tomal version, yeah, this is weird. You've got like these weird brackets with lots of... I don't think this is necessarily a problem. My th- take on it is I wouldn't use either of these for this purpose. <laughs> exactly. Like <laughs> I would use Python uh, probably to describe stories. But anyway. Um, I don't want to bash on him. I guess something to think about if uh Tomal is if you're using Tomal for really large things, uh maybe it's a problem. Uh I'd be curious to know uh Will if Will if you're listening, what do you think? Is it uh are you using some wacky large Tomal files that are becoming a problem? I don't know. <sighs> so that's uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Awesome. Got any extras to throw out there? Uh my extras are totally self-serving. Um, <laughs> but, um, I see, see the beginning of the episode. Yeah. So the, the last, uh, so last, last week I announced, I think that I had uh, part one of the PyTest course, um, all buttoned down and ready. And that was a kind of a problem because my video intro video was like, Hey, I'm starting this course, but I've already started it. So I re what I did is I did a few things. I redid the video, the intro video to just sort of describe where, where this course fits in with everything else. Um, and so it's like a few minutes to so check it out. Um, the other thing I did was I had some feedback from people that said um, Teachable is sort of easy to use, but some people might not understand. Maybe you should do a little intro video. So I did a um, a little intro video for how to use uh, how to use Teachable, um, and it's a few minutes also. And one of the things I like about this is I learned some things that I didn't know. So you can adjust, my favorite is you can adjust the speed. So you can listen to me uh, at like 1.25 or 1.5 speed and it'll go faster. The other thing is you can add notes. You can add like notes for different video places and say, um, and then when you, when you click on it, so I'll even do it with an explainer video. You can grab a note. Hi. um, And then later you can go back and click on the note and it takes you back to that part of the video. So if you want to keep some notes, that's kind of neat. So that's, that's really all my extras is that's going on. Yeah, that's a very useful feature. Excellent, excellent. What you got? Making progress on your course. Nice to see. Thanks. I also have a course announcement. So Christopher Trudeau and I teamed up to create a Django version of 
the HTMX course at TalkPython. Now we have HTMX plus Django, modern Python web apps hold the JavaScript. So this is a two hour course that shows Django developers how to work with HTMX, how to build up like a pretty, pretty realistic, pretty complicated, but not overly complicated, but you know, not toy type of application that they get to build throughout the course. So check that out. It's still on the early bird special. So if people get to it by the 23rd, September 23rd, got a few more days to save 10%. If you're thinking about getting it, might as well do that now. And it has the sister flask course. If you don't Django, but you flask. So those are our two sides of the, the same coin there. And HTMX is just awesome. So check that out if people are interested. Looking, looking forward to that. Yeah, thanks. And then if you happen to be coding in Rust, JetBrains just released a new IDE called Rust Rover. <laughs> uh, funny name. I'm not really sure the origin of it, but it's based on the same foundation as PyCharm. So if you're already using PyCharm or, you know, something like it, WebStorm, whatever, and you have the muscle memory for those hotkeys and basically the way it looks and feels, but you also want to do Rust, Rust Rover, Rust Rover, come on over, you know, let's, let's do it. Nice. I haven't tried this out. I don't do any Rust. So people, um, people who do Rust can check it out and let us know what they think. Nice. I use the C++ version also. Um, the Sea Lion. Yeah. It's nice. sort of a funny name for it, but. <laughs> it is. They got good names. Also, um, Skylar Costco, who is the sky from submitting the rough formatter, says it looks like dash dash respect get ignore is the default behavior in a rough formatter. You should only need to set a flag, pass this flag, if you know, do you want to format get ignored files via dash dash no respect. <laughs> got no respect got, for the get ignore. <laughs> got no respect around here. <laughs> Yeah, some Rodney Dangerfield programming right there. <laughs> you, you dissing the get ignore? Come on now. Uh, new Talk Python episode I just released like right before we jumped on here. Delightful machine learning apps with Gradio. Gradio. If you want to take a ML uh, machine learning model you've created and put it into an interactive UI on the web that you can share, super easy. Check this out. Open source, very cool. They even have some hosting options. Nice. Both free and, and paid. Um, all right, so... That is it. Oh, I guess one more piece of follow-up um, since you, you asked. Will McGugan says, Ari uh, Tommel, most uh, more hypothetical issues. I think there were some good points, but haven't faced them yet. Okay, thanks, Will. I figured you were listening. Yeah. Brian, are you willing to face a joke? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think. Yeah, okay. So sometimes, sometimes. I'm worried now. Well, I'm sure in, in um, school you... You probably studied like the five stages of grief or something like that. Okay, yeah. You know, that's not something you really want. Why will this not open the image? I can't zoom it. Anyway, maybe it's it's just best. No, it's not bad. I got to try to read very small here. Hold on. So this is the five stages of debugging. Okay. <laughs> Let me find a way to make this bigger so I can read it. There we go. So the five stages. Okay. N number one, denial. This stage is often characterized by... Uh, phrases such as, what? That is impossible. Or, I know this is right. And a strong sign of denial is recompiling without changing any code, just in case. Funny. All right. Stage two, bargaining and self-blame. Several programming errors are uncovered, and the programmer feels stupid and guilty of having made them. Bargaining is common. If I fix this, we please compile. Also, I have only 14 errors to go. Yeah. Stage three is anger. Cryptic error messages send the programmer into rage. This stage is accompanied by hours long of a diatribes about the limitations of language directed, toward, toward, directed to whomever will listen. 
Stage four, it's getting serious depression. Following the outburst, the programmer becomes aware that the hours have gone by unproductively and there is still no solution in sight. The programmer becomes listless. <laughs> the posture often deteriorates. <laughs> and you can see like all the graphics are like screaming and banging on the computer or yeah, like good. staring at the sky. The depression one is just sunk in the chair. And acceptance, the chair is the like the wheelie chair turned around they're just gone there's no one at the computer anymore yeah the final stage is acceptance the programmer finally accepts the situation declares the bug a feature and goes to play some quake yeah <laughs> so uh i just yeah uh there's tons of stages missing yes this is funny i know it's supposed to be a joke <laughs> but um but like get up go talk to somebody else don't do like leave the computer that should be one of the first things you do is go like take a shower or take a nap or something like that and come back uh, uh, yeah that's very productive i also think somewhere in there there should be searching stack overflow yeah and there should be another stage where you go to chat gpt and and see if it can help you yeah or duck uh what the uh, rubber ducking the, um yeah exactly I, so i never really could do, get into the rubber duck completely of explaining the problem to a rubber duck or some inanimate object but explaining it to a non-technical person I'll like try mm -hmm. to explain the problem to, to like one of my kids or something. And, and, uh, and I'm often, while I'm explaining and I'm like, wait, I think the problem's there. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's funny. I find time away often is the most important thing. Yeah. Go, go record yeah. a pro podcast or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. or, or go for a walk, go for a motorcycle ride, bicycle ride, like just yeah. get away from the computer for a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, All right, well speaking of getting away from the computer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's get away from this podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, bye, Brian.